Hi everyone, you're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here as always with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello everyone. And today we have the pleasure of speaking with Shrad Rao. He is the co-founder and CEO of WagePoint. So thank you so much for joining us virtually today, Shrad. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thank you. So uh, to give our audience a bit of background, what is WagePoint? WagePoint is a magical place um, where, you know, cool people come to hang out. Uh, but it's also, WagePoint is a payroll software uh, solution built just for small businesses and backed by the world's friendliest team. Awesome. That's really cool. And so what made you uh, want to come up with this business? And what, what did you have a personal pain point that decide, made you decide, okay, I, I need to tackle uh, payroll or, or was it uh, something else? You know what? I, I would love to tell that story uh, someday for some product that I build <laughs> that it was actually a personal problem. But actually, no, I, I think had a very rigorous approach to how I thought about business building. Um, so just to give you a sense of you know my background, I've, I've always been interested, like I, since I was a, a young kid, I've always known I was going to be an entrepreneur. I was sort of like there was no other path for me. So given that I sort of was at a place in my life where I was beginning that journey, I was sort of looking for... I was looking for the right type of product. So I, I'm not really, uh, I don't, I'm not one of those uh, entrepreneurs that falls in love with a product. Uh, and, you know, I'm sort of brushing my teeth one day. I'm like, you know what the world really needs is this thing. I'm, I'm definitely not that guy. I'm more of a, uh, what, what is a problem that I can solve? And what is a problem that I think I can solve better than already, that someone is already solving today? So when I looked at the payroll space, I saw legacy uh, players that was, was sort of been doing it for a long time. Uh, those products didn't really feel like, you know, tech forward products. They felt more like services. The space was huge. Um, so total addressable market was massive. That was exciting to me. And the other one was that I, I, I remember thinking at the time that I could, I needed to be able to trip over customers anywhere I went. And so it was sort of a, it was knowing there was going to be an entrepreneur looking to pick a product in a space or rather looking to solve a problem in a space that I thought I could do a, a better job than it was already being done. Um, and, you know, like I said, large total addressable market with customers everywhere. That's really why I picked this particular um, this particular category. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like a much more strategic approach than I would say even we ourselves have done. No, no for sure. I, I love it. I, I personally love going by like what the numbers tell you and by actually using like any sort of statistical analysis to make a decision more so than like, because a lot of times your own emotional uh, impact could actually be a, a negative thing. Like you could have personal biases about a product and you think that this needs to be in the world, but in fact, it's just only a problem that you and a handful of people have. So it's really cool to like actually target a really large, large industry first. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the thing. Like a lot of people are idea people, right? They, they, they walk around sort of fretting about what idea they're going to come up with or sometimes they... They think they genuinely think that the world really deserves this thing, and the part of the part of the issue with that is that you then have to go prove that, right? And um, and that's a big load to take on as you know as a new entrepreneur and stuff like that. And I think that the way I did it was it was business itself is interesting to me. The product can be swapped out. It, that's sort of a it is a consequence of a problem. The solution to a problem is the most interesting thing to me. And the, if you can build a solution where someone is, where, you know, there's an exchange of value for money, so to speak, then the money is simply validation that you've solved it in a way that is meaningful to someone. And that was what was, that is what's truly interesting to me about being an entrepreneur. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And what made you then feel like you were the right person to tackle this specific problem? Um, like I said, you know, when I looked at the space and I saw that the the current incumbents were doing it in a way that, I mean, I don't know how else to say this, but in a non-millennial way, <laughs> it, it, it felt like these were large companies that were, you know, that had already started to look at customers like they were just numbers. And I love small businesses. For me, like that's where, like, you know, that's where life happens. I would much rather work with a small business than a Fortune 500 company because a Fortune 500 company, they, those, those people are nice, but they're doing jobs. Whereas in small businesses, they're living their life. That's the whole business is their life in many cases. So for me, being close to those folks meant that I knew I would, go, because I was passionate about serving that group, I knew I could do a better job. I would never treat them as numbers. I would never take them for granted. And all of those things are true even today. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. I, I always say that like, you know, phone a car services existed way before Uber came around. They, they just like really digitized it really well. Um, and kind of kind of asking on your other point, how, how do you pick what your target market actually is? So when we were when we started out, we we knew that small businesses were underserved and they felt underserved because everybody else was building for every every bucket of customers. So they were like small, medium and large. If you're going to do that, if you're going to try to be everything to everyone or I guess something to everyone or whatever that phrase is, (laughs) you 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 cannot you cannot be everything to everyone. It's just not possible. So somebody is losing for someone else to gain. And what I did not want is to have to sacrifice what was right for the small business just to go up market. So when we saw that everyone else was sort of, like I said, doing everything else, uh, or, or rather all the features were trying to serve all three categories of small, medium, and large, at that moment, we instantly knew that there was no way that they were taking care of the small business in the right way. So we zoned in on that, or rather honed in on that specific target market. Um, and then the really important part is to stay disciplined. So that even when you get those larger contract, you know, when someone's calling you and saying, hey, we have 3000 employees, would you be would, would you be open to, you know, can, can we talk about using your software? That's the point when you say no, you just say this isn't built for you. This is built for somebody else. And yes, you could use it, but it's going to frustrate you. And we're not going to solve your frustrations. We're only going to focus on that, the, the frustrations of that group. So it's a combination of of sort of seeing what else other people like. What is other, what are other people doing? And then. How do you have to say, how should you say disciplined to your core group? Yeah, that discipline is really important. Did you always have that discipline even in the early days of WagePoint? Yes. Yeah. That's good. And can, we mentioned uh, just before we started recording, you talked about how your company's always been remote. Can you talk about building a remote company? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. People used to ask me questions about this all the time before, like before they used to say, um, you know, how do you, how do you get, how do you make sure work gets done? You know, <laughs> and now that everyone has been forced into this position, now they somehow have figured it out. And this is what literally what has happened. So for us, uh, because payroll is a is a unique specialization, we I was thinking, okay, if I already have to find people who have who are very well versed in um, in payroll, I can't have geography become another variable that I have to account for. So we decided very early on we're going to just do remote really well. And one of the ways you do that, of course, is to make sure that you have clear uh, people that are working have a clear understanding of what they're supposed to do. So a lot of people in companies will say things like, well, you know, I don't really care when you come to work as long as the work gets done. They'll say that, 
but then they really do care about when you come to work and you know what i mean and in our case when we say it we have to really mean it so for us work is measured simply by the output as opposed to the amount of input so that's sort of one way of thinking about it the other thing is from a remote standpoint is you have to like one of the things i'm very proud about is that we've built culture and very strong culture in a remote company which you know people will say can't be done or can be cannot be done well i beg to differ and this is really all about mindset and mentality and how you approach how do you how do you actually set the stage for people interacting with each other inside of a remote environment so i guess there's so many different ways of me talking about remote but i guess the the two things that i i do want, i guess i get excited about is that productivity and culture are both things that we have solved inside of a remote environment i have to ask how you've solved culture in a remote environment oh that's a good question um and the answer is deceptively simple so it's not as sexy as i think <laughs> you think it's going to be um it's is if you think about it right most of the ways that we interact with each other inside of a inside of a company is sort of forced right like we kind of we 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 almost brought there and like if you think about it like every time since you the time you were a kid right so you've had people helping you decide or ha- helping you guide your interactions with other people so let's say you start with you know the time when you were a kid in in your at your home your parents would teach you how to interact with them with your siblings you go to school your teachers are teaching you how to interact with them and your classmates you go to even if you go to university there's some of that happening you come to work and everyone's just thrown together right like there's no real sort of commitment on, on or even really an understanding of how to behave with each other and how to interact with each other that is something that we actually focus on we don't have the luxury of saying let's all get together and have socials on every friday uh, you know friday night or let's go play ping pong at our fancy ping pong table those yeah those things don't happen so what do you have to do that means you have to be actually committed to this realness idea you have to be real people really having no hold back in the feedback you give how you talk to each other how you interact with each other so one of the ways we do that for example is every single person that has been hired into wagepoint has a culture call so we talk about what it means to join the company and who the collective group of people actually are who are these people that you're about to start interacting with and how is the best way for you to interact with them we also talk about things like you know for example you know we don't want everyone to come in and become like stepford wives right like this isn't like everyone behaving in a in a very uh, homogenous way so what we do is we we have actual real conversations with the people on the other side um before they're about to join the company as to what to expect from the from these interactions and how they are expected to interact as well so these are like very uh, sort of very real conversations that allow for the human experience and i know this they sound like very esoteric ideas but fundamentally this is it's as simple as that we we do the same thing that you have what has happened to you you know your whole life in your at your home your school your university and all this other stuff we just do that at work as well that's really interesting yeah and to kind of uh touch on that a little bit more can you talk about kind of what your hiring practices are like how do you since you measure uh only through actual output how do you make sure that the person you're hiring is going to deliver a lot of output is there like any sort of like testing that you would do or is it just through the conversations that you have with them that's a good question um so the culture call is is one thing that we do which is basically where we so the first call is usually with a uh, someone who who's going to talk about what we do or what the job is 
Um, the second call is about who we are, which is now these people have sort of been, um, you know, what's it called? They've been, uh, they've been selected for like a second interview, if you will. But this is not an interview. This is just me making jokes with them for the most part. And um, that call is something that happens only with me. And it's with every single person that we hire. Now, you may ask me, well, you know, and people do, uh, what happens when you're 200 people, Shad? Will you still do it? Well, then if I'm still saying that this is one of the most important things that we need to do from a remote standpoint, or even from a company culture standpoint, then yes, I will still continue to do it because it's still a very important part of my job, right? So that's the second part. And then the third part is we have a very strict three-month probation inside of the company. In those three months, what I'm really do- what we're doing is assessing the people for culture fit as well as work fit. And in those three months, we are working with those, that person to make sure that they succeed. But if they don't, we, we don't, like, basically, they don't stick around. And at the start of, at the, start of the culture call, well, not a start, but in the culture call, as well as in the call before with the hiring manager, both calls, we mentioned this, as well as in the uh, offer letter, that this is a strict three-month probation. So if someone is leaving a job to come work with us, they need to know why, when they come on board, if they don't make it, that we've told them this multiple times that this is this is not like a, something that we just talk about and then we forget about. This is something that we we hold very dear to uh, to the process. So that's uh, that's the way that we ensure that people that come in that they, they they're the people that we know we say would pass the airport test a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice, especially with so many companies moving to kind of full remote. Um, at least for the time being, but if not going forward permanently. Um, and can you talk a bit? So you started this company with a co-founder. Were you both remote from each other or did you know each other? And how did you guys start this company together? Uh, yeah, no. So the start story is kind of interesting too, because I think I think there's, there's so many different ways in which you can do this. I happened to pick uh, two co-founders that were way older than I, I am, um, which actually it has pros and cons, right? So the the pros are that uh, you know you have like you know people who can guide you in in things that you know nothing about or have very little experience in. Uh, so one of my co-founders is twenty years older than I am, and the other one is fifteen years older than I am. So really very different from typical tech founders, um, at least in my experience. Um, they one of them the the, the Ryan Denine he was in Toronto and uh, he I just happened to be in Toronto at, at Toronto at the same time, so that was kind of easy. And the other guy is, his name is Bill Murphy and he was in Halifax and I just happened to be in Halifax at the same time. So no, for the, for both the co-founder aspects, I, I, I was actually physically around them. I would definitely not recommend picking partners remotely um, because you really want to like, you know, shake their hand and buy them pizza. Definitely. And um, how did you go about choosing the co-founders that you did? And why, kind of, I guess, is maybe more the appropriate question. Why, why were they the right people to co-found this company together with? That's a, that's a pretty big question uh, because it's really hard to be succinct about it, but I will try, uh, given that we, you know, we don't have all day. <laughs> um, I think that, so Ryan was easy. He had built payroll software before, and I needed someone who was going to build, you know, U.S. and Canada payroll software in the cloud you know, he had other HR tech experience and it just so happened that he also happens to be a very awesome guy. So he had all the qualifications right off the bat. Uh, Bill was slightly different. Uh, it was more, I, I, I'm a very cooperative, collaborative kind of guy. And I really don't like doing stuff on my own because it's not as fun. 
So I was looking for someone that had a similar value system as I did. It didn't matter to me what business we built, because again, I told you I'm kind of agnostic to the business itself, or, or rather, I, I'm not as... Like, you know, if you said, okay, here's a sewage company, Shad, go make it 10, I'd be just as interested in that. Just so you just so you understand the kind of, I guess, mentality that I come from or I come with. Um, with him, it was more about looking for, I was looking for someone that I could build something with and I could, I would have the same value systems. Um, you know, like I, even as deliberate as I have been about, about picking the kind of opportunity I work on, I'm equally deliberate about the company I keep and the the company I keep extends to the culture of the company. So culture for us has been a day one deliberate decision, how to build culture, how it is that we believe that I've always believed that companies should be built with the most maximizing the human experience, like making sure that the people that are living in, or working inside of your company, the way that they are in their personal life and in their professional life, there's not that much difference. Because I really think that the fronting that comes with going to work and having to you know, use words like I'll circle back to you. I feel like it just creates so much stress on the system having to present or to front. And the idea has been to remove those those barriers between what a person is at home or who they are and, and who they are at work. So, and in some ways, like the remote culture actually helps that, right? Because they are literally in their home. So they get to be the most real version of themselves. Uh, when I met Bill, he felt like someone who could understand that. Of course, you know, given the fact that, again, there's, now that when I work with someone 20 years junior to me, I can start to see the, the difference, the generational gap difference. Um, so I, I think I, I put a bit more pressure on him at that time than I probably would today, knowing, you know, what someone who's, you know, 18 uh, feels like working, you know, with me. Um, but anyway, long story short, it was really based on value systems. That's, that's really why I chose uh, to work with him in particular. That's great advice. Yeah, that's really amazing. And for my final question, can you tell me something about yourself that's not on your LinkedIn page? Sure. Um, I mean, I guess I guess a lot of uh, a lot of the way I think about building business or culture in particular, and the way we treat uh, each other as well as customers, that actually comes from my upbringing, uh, which you know is a very mixed upbringing. So I I uh, I'm ethnically Indian. Uh, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm American, I, grew, I was born in Bahrain, I grew up in Dubai, so I've got a very mixed background. But most of my ways of thinking are come from Eastern philosophy. So where most businesses in, you know, in North America are built from a Western philosophical mindset, mine is built from an Eastern philosophy mindset. So it's just a, a lot of what I say in terms of how we sort of interact with each other and how we treat each other, you know, like equals that all comes from a different style of philosophy. And that's something that obviously, you know, I, I wouldn't, I mean, it's no need to put on a LinkedIn page, but it's, I think it's something interesting about my approach. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Shred. It was really great to get to speak to you and learn more about WagePoint and the company you've built. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.